is Richard Wilson speaking. Um, there's some people who know me as Victor Meldrew, but as far as I'm concerned, Victor Meldrew's dead. And thank you for downloading One Foot in the Podcast. You ask me how I'm coping. Shall I tell you exactly how I'm coping? By clinging to the hope that one day they find the bastard who was at the wheel of that car. Because if they ever do, I swear to God I'm going to kill him. With my bare hands, if necessary. Hello, welcome to the final One Foot in the Podcast with a very special guest. It felt it was only right to close the series with writer David Renwick. Welcome, David. How are you doing? Very good. Very good, Tom. Thank you. Very, uh, very pleased to be uh, asked back. To, That's quite uh, right. Yeah. I mean, 42 episodes I've, I've reviewed and with all sort of regular wow. guests. And here you are, the main man, helping me to close this down or to finish things off obviously I've got the comic relief short to do and I've but as a regular episode one foot in the podcast in its most organic form I did not think I'd be speaking to yourself to help wrap things up so what a what an honor it is to have you no well well through. yeah and of course you, you've already you know when this episode goes out your um two-parter would have already been released so you've given up your time once again so I'm absolutely honored thank you David yeah okay. well no I suppose we'll go straight into it in a moment but couple of questions I had about Series 6 overall. How was Christine Gernon's direction different to Susie Belbin's? Did you notice a distinct difference or was it much the same? No, it was. It followed very much in, uh, um, in, in the same vein as Susie because uh, Chris w- worked on the very first series as a production secretary. I mean, that's how kind of... That's the, that's the sort of low rung that she came in on. Um, she came straight from radio, as it happened, right. um, and um, then moved off uh, our show for uh, for several years and returned as a as a production manager, a production yeah. assistant, where um, was I can't remember <clears throat> later on. Um, but she was there, you know, on the on the ground floor. So um, she very much was. Um, au fait with Susie's style of, of work and um, embraced it to, to the full. I mean, most importantly, she just was um, bang on the same wavelength as the rest of us. There was no clash of, of um, uh, you know, of intent there. And um, she found the same things funny that Susie and I did and Richard and Annette and, um, you know, it was a very smooth transition. Oh, that's that's good. I suppose it's much like analogy. It's like a football team replacing their main striker with a youth team striker who knows the club, gets straight into the mix. And yeah, I mean, just to just to recap on that, um, Susie uh, had it was really a question of um, sort of health issues with Susie. I mean, it wasn't uh, ill as such, but um, I think the strain was getting. Uh, yeah. too much for and but you know for a few weeks she was planning to direct that final series we did i actually had meetings with Susie at um, Teddy center and um but there came a point where i think um she realized that it was just going to be too much of a burden yes um so 
pull out and then Chris came in quite short notice in the end. Okay, quite interesting. And I suppose I mean, braves the word to not include any of the supporting cast for this finale. Was there any reason behind that, or was it just how you'd written at the time, or was it availability yeah, of the actors? I, or I, no, it's nothing to do with availability. I mean, I I I honestly can't remember how that. Uh, you know, came to pass. It was just that whatever storyline I came up with, um, you know, wasn't able to accommodate any of them in it. Um, I think there was just quite enough going on. Um, yeah. Without without the regulars, uh, how, you know, being any opportunity to feature them in it. Can you imagine if Mrs. Warboys had, had run Victor over and, and killed him off? Uh, yeah. Well, it's another it's another scenario to contemplate. Obviously, um, with sort of, I suppose, larger ramifications. And I, I don't know. I, when you come up with the, those kinds of plot lines, it, yeah. it, it sort of it just didn't really ever enter into my thinking that it could be one of the regular you no. know, um, characters. It was, it was all about, well, you know, who's this new friend that Margaret's acquired and, um, you know, yeah. then to suddenly realise that she was at the back of it all was a yeah. quite a twist. Yeah, finale was absolutely perfect because Mrs. Warboys is so error-prone. It would have just been quite fitting as she'd... Uh, yeah, well, you <laughs> wouldn't... I know you just wouldn't want to have any any scintilla of comedy attached to any of that. It That's very true. That's very true. For, for its dramatic yeah. view, I think. Oh, one final question for this segment. Do you know who won the ratings war for The Night This Is There versus Millionaire? We call it a war. Well, you know. uh, yeah. I, well, on the night, I think they did. Um, but... Um, of course, now it's all so, so different. I mean, there's no calculation you can ever do because there's no. so much you know, kind of in terms of um, catch up going on and so many platforms. But at the time, there were really only two figures that were counted. One was the overnights, which came in, as uh, as they say, but next morning. And then the so-called consolidated, which took account of time shift viewing video um, you know, and sometimes we'd put on maybe, you know, a couple of million when the consolidated figure came in. You know, it could vary that much. But um, I actually don't remember. I mean, you may have these figures in front of you. I don't I know. I couldn't actually, um, I couldn't find figures. But all I know is I was there watching it. And I did like Millionaire. And I was thinking, oh, the first one. But this is like the final ever episode of a great comedy versus a series that's going to chime out series after series anyway. So it's a, yeah, it a no-brainer well, it was... if you're a fan of comedy. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but it, it uh, as with the, um, the the previous series when we when our ratings dipped considerably opposite a touch of frost, you realised you know how kind of fickle in a way the the public were. I mean, now it does it's kind of not an issue at all now because everyone can just watch things whenever they want. They can. I mean, even then they could have videoed them. Yes, yeah, true. Still became a big issue. And it was a very, I mean, I can't remember if we covered all this last time we spoke, but it was a very cynical exercise by ITV. I mean, in a couple of years previously, you had David Lidderman, who was then at the BBC, <laughs> telling me in the bar what a groundbreaking, wonderful series One Foot in the Grave was. You know, then next thing you know, he's over at ITV deliberately moving uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire from eight o'clock where it had sat until we came on up to nine o'clock um directly opposite 
one foot in the grave, specifically, you know, to counter. Yeah. Um, that that, that couldn't be, uh, be more obvious, it, could it? They, they it denied obvious, it, didn't they? And the week, week after we finished, they went back to eight o'clock. I mean, it was, that, that, you know, yeah. was disguise. Um, but what I think what irked me most of all um, was the fact that, yes, Judith Keppel won that um, million, it was the first million pound winner. Um, and of course, it was recorded the day before transmission. But all of the tension um, evaporated or would have done on the night because um, they announced it in the morning. Uh, again, which was a, another cynical exercise exactly. in order yeah. to, get, mm. to get the uh, the viewers on side that night. So it, it was pretty much everything Victor himself would have predicted that everything it's, went wrong. Uh, yeah, us. yeah. So, you know, well, you know, our, our household firmly had BBC One on that evening, so uh, great memory. So I'm going to give a synopsis, quick synopsis, and I'll dive straight into Things Aren't Simple Anymore. Life is that much more empty for Margaret Meldrew as she struggles to accept the cruel fate of her husband. She does, however, befriend Glynis, who is also suffering a loss in her life. We explore the events that lead up to the demise of one Victor Meldrew of 19 Riverbank. The scene opens up with Margaret as ever on the telephone. I always find that Margaret is the scenes open up with Margaret on the telephone in some of these later episodes. It might just be me, but I seem to notice. But she's um, holding a large trainer shoe for a telephone, which instantly brings about a few chuckles from the audience. The, the call is regarding a prosecution, regarding a physical assault. I think she says on the 14th of June this year for the forcible insertion of a hypodermic syringe into someone's backside, causing actual bodily harm. So she's obviously on the phone to a solicitor defending Victor. And this point is just like any other episode. And she's quite clearly aggravated. She's quite composed, I can see. She's tearing this defence to shreds. You know, she doesn't need a lawyer team, I don't think. What Margaret does at this point is she's breaking down why this claim is absolute nonsense in sort of three points. Firstly, I have to say I'm amazed how long it's taken you to scrape some kind of case together on this one. Secondly... Since your client's bottom was being thrust out of a car window at the time the attack took place, I'd hardly call it unprovoked. And thirdly, as my husband's now been dead for five months, I'd say your chances of getting a conviction are not especially high. Oh, yes, I most certainly am. Entirely serious. And if you want to go raking up evidence... Why don't you try finding the piece of scum who sent him flying into the gutter that night without so much as stopping to see? Third point, and one of the biggest, really, what the modern folk would call a mic drop of all these ball-busting <laughs> facts was something that sort of rips your insides out because the fact is Victor has been dead for five months, I think they say, and so the chances of getting a conviction are not especially high. And I mean, wow. I mean, opening a couple of minutes there, David, you've, you've uh, ripped our guts out because... Unlike a lot of comedies or films, a death would come in real time at the end, but we're just fed that information straight away. That's that's a very brave move, I feel. Yes, well, I, I didn't imagine there would be many viewers by that stage um, who wouldn't know that Victor was meeting his end in this episode because uh, we'd made that public, um, not for sensational reasons, mm. but because we knew it would leak out anyway and we just yeah. wanted to preempt that steal their thunder. Um, but I guess people may if they've thought about it at all what you know imagined as you say that it would happen at the end of the 30 minutes yeah rather than um, all be in retrospect but that was a decision i made early on to um to to construct the episode in the form of you know, sort of parallel uh, yeah. strand 
Yeah. So we have the now and the then, um, and we kind of interweave the two. And so you start with the, the, the tragedy and then, you know, then we hop back and backwards and forwards throughout the show. And I think it's pretty clear where we are at any given moment. Um, yeah. I felt quite good about that. Um, but no, it's, you know, and the fact that it was that old rule of three that you've just enumerated was um, just one of the classic comedy devices but it also it's it's also sort of classic throwaway yeah yeah of course it of course it's the most important of the three of course yeah but she throws it away as if it isn't at the the end and and as you say hopefully takes the audience more by surprise well it does i mean yeah because you know those three points it's taking you ages to come up with a case buttocks out the window and the fact my husband's dead i'm entirely serious she says which is a surefire way to make sure we the audience genuinely believe she's serious and not just scaring off the solicitor even though you know be able to verify the sad news annette crosby though oscar winning acting if ever i saw very just pitch perfect um yeah action, amazing she does push the knife further in by rhetorically asking why they don't just try finding the piece of scum who send him flyer into the gutter that night so hinting at hit and run of sorts um that night when you first watch this thing oh my god like you just fed a little bit of information that oh dear victor this is what's happened to him you know he's he's complained numerous times about drivers on the road and that's his demise so we, we learn so much in those opening few minutes well the next thing that happens is jonathan cecil comes in i think which was so yeah. we, we we hit them you know in my mind with a really major piece of comedy which because it was oh. one of my i mean it had long been a comparison that had been made there how 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 similar richard was to alistair sim as a, <clears throat> a classic comedy character actor well before your time and probably most of the listeners but hopefully people he started I mean, several, several, several film and TV, isn't he? He's a recognised yeah, and the, face, the, but the yeah. and, and of course, very memorably as Scrooge in um, yeah in um, the Christmas yeah. Carol. We went to great lengths to make sure that that I can remember Chris Gernon and I just walking backwards and forwards to the scenery dock day after day, tweaking that painting to make sure it you know. Have, have <laughs> you got that painting? Back. Have you got that? Painting? I have. It's on my wall, actually, in the hall. Have you really? Uh, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. Listeners would love to Never hear that. Ceases. That's awesome. <laughs> Never <laughs> ceases to amuse me. It, it worked very, very well. And um, Jonathan Cecil, as a further sort of um, piece of trivia, was um, one of the first people I ever wrote for. Well, I say wrote for, but I mean, he was in the radio show, the very first radio show that I ever had any material accepted for in 1971 um along with david jason and bill wallace that was that was the only other time that i had um, worked with him lovely man i mean you know another of those great comedy character actors of yore um playing those silly ass kind of roles i think he once played captain hastings in some uh, in some poirots but um uh, his uh, memory was not at its best by the time we were shooting that scene. Bless him. Um, he's he's, he's and, Mr. Uh, Grundy, isn't he, in this? He's Mr. Grundy. That's, a yeah, great, that's a, yeah, what I call a Renwick he, name. Yeah, I can't remember what that comes from particularly, but uh, he's, um, he's... Yeah, and he, um, he had many goes at it in front of the audience, and to begin oh, with, every time, every time he broke down, it was, it was very funny. But then it just... <laughs> rather more and more um haphazard and we had to let the audience go and get him back in and oh really 
all open yeah it was a shame that but um of course you know in the edit it's seamless and um the fact remains that he is very very funny doing it and um you know i can't imagine a better um, yeah. actor in the yeah role. but it was hard work yeah he i mean this character mr Grenny, he's um can't quite understand where margaret's coming from and you know like you said this is a bit of light comic relief on the back of that opening shock of yeah. a scene and uh and Margaret says, this is not the man I share 38 years of my life with. And sends him on his way to obviously have another go to it. And um, the timeline of One Foot is, I don't know if it is, like, this is this episode was out 2000. And I think it was in, in the 90, was it Wisdom of the Witch, when they're having a 37th anniversary? Oh, uh, well, I, yeah, I can't I, claim that there's any continuity to any of that. <laughs> I mean, it's very it's very hard to do when you're, you know when you're um spanning 11 whatever it was 10 11 years yeah. in the making of the show but you're not necessarily admitting that no of course yeah i just found it interesting that margaret want a painting i mean was it do you think that she just wanted a painting of her and vicks because she didn't have many photos that she could blow up that would look um all part of the podcast is to dive right into this not yeah. people don't really question that, but for the purpose of the no. podcast, people do like to go, I wonder why she wanted a painting, no. not just no. The reason was because I had a very funny idea. Mm. <laughs> That's <laughs> that, the that is that the reason. Was the, way <laughs> it, it was the way it worked. That, that takes precedence over everything. How many photograph albums did I give you to work from? I'm sorry, I, I don't quite um... It's Alistair Sims. <laughs> Alistair Sim. No, 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 no. Do you think? I don't know if it's a little bit later in the day or not, but Margaret answered the door to... Just before I go into this story, I just liked how when Mr Grundy um, arrived, Margaret went, right, as if, right, what, what am I going to tackle next? So she's yeah. obviously post-Victor. She's fighting all these little battles. But a little bit later into the um, scene, I think it's late into the day, she answered the door to Hannah Gordon's character, who we know as Glynis. Um, yeah, the legend that is Hannah Gordon, and she of course appeared in Black Canary in Jonathan Creek. Yeah, um, lovely, lovely lady. Um, yeah. Just you know, I had such a brilliant time working with her on Black Canary, and I, you know, I, I don't know how many thoughts we had about that part, but she was perfect. One of the best and, Creek and, episodes. And, and fellow Scott again, you know, that wasn't deliberate, but you know, they. No, no. they just, Seem to mesh so well together. You totally believe them as a you know couple of new friends. Yeah, no, they, they it, it is very believable, and it's 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 a different dynamic to Mrs. Warboys and Margaret. This Glennis, they seem on, right on the same kind of wavelength as, yeah. as one yeah. another. She's quite happy and calm. Seems to have a bit of a sense of humour. She's put the table for lunch, and she asks all about the recent shenanigans. And both the ladies they share their woes of late. One of which is sort of a, a slightly weird and creepy one. Glennis recalls one of her late husband michael his old chums sending her some some sort of hideous specimen and when margaret questions this she says well it's best to leave it until after the coffee so it's obviously something a little bit grim which we'll learn later when Galinus speaks of a passing remark about the problems not seeming to to go away these days margaret concurs before snapping out of a brief happy mood into one of sort of despair and sorrowfulness and sort of pain and she sort of stares blankly into the distance i don't know the problems just don't seem to go away these days do they oh what but then they never did. Unbelievable. <laughs> we sort of fade into like a flashback. Um, as she, as well as he, we can hear her reminiscing a Victor catchphrase. Unbelievable. And that cheers us, the audience, up a bit. And it's, it's, it is sad, but it's nice that 
we got Vic on the screen now. And that bit of reverb does add to the sort of dynamics of this finale. Victor walks in the front door, bags of shopping on a, another rant about the entire human race. And there was up, he's at a supermarket filming a Christmas commercial for TV. And it's, you know, it's the middle of the middle of June by this point. Well, it's August when we're recording this. And they're probably starting to record those um, adverts now, actually, all joking aside. A lot of your writing, a lot of these little digs at what goes on in life. It, it's nice because we can completely uh, sympathize and understand that these, we know why they probably have to film an advert that many months in advance of Christmas, but it is annoying but it's funny because victor's um his car's been used for it and he's got bits of fake snow everywhere and he proceeds to unbutton his trousers getting some of it out of his um belly button i bet it's gone right up the exhaust or something i can't remember what he said yeah. some... <laughs> maybe laugh yeah, so deep line of some sort i hate to think where else has got to <laughs> right up my exhaust i've been a pound to a penny Margaret's sifting through some old bits and pieces that belong to her mum. It's nice that her mum's referenced. It's been quite a while. I think Pits in the Pendulum was probably the last time we heard anything of, of her, her mother. And, um, mm-hmm. of course, I recall you saying the Anthemacy message was not recorded by Annette Crosby. It was an, it was <laughs> a lady from um, Hearts of Darkness. Yeah. That, something that is quite sort out of the blue, given, um, like I said, her mum's not been referenced for a while, but she's created a piece of art or a bit of... of I think it's a Jesus Christ stitching or something. I think Margaret's just trying to sell a few bits and pieces. I think, I don't know if it's just trying to clear out old junk or, or whatnot, but it's a, it, it would be a nice well-rounded gag that we'll revisit later. Um, so she's yeah. quite the artist, um, Annette's, uh, sorry, Annette, Margaret's mother. I think Margaret goes to say she'll put it, an ad in the local uh, paper. Where did that come from? Oh, it's one mum did ages ago. Apart from a couple of little rips, it's still in pretty good nick. She does bemoan Victor for attending a local boot sale, as she can actually spot some junk. But Annette does that great thing where she's mid-sentence speaking, then goes into like a, a groan. Oh, you haven't been to that car boot again. What is the point of my having a good clear out when you bring back all this junk? <laughs> because she's seen this bag of junk and uh, I think it's like switching from pleasantries and happiness to this despair. And Victor's purchased um, some sort of... Oh, he's p- purchased a shoe telephone. So we revisit the moment that was... Um, that rounds up that initial scene with Margaret coming in with that telephone. We know where that came from now. I'm trying to slightly remind myself what, you know, what, what the point of that um, plimpsole uh, telephone was. But I... I, I well as i can remember that it was just well, those novelty phones were a bit of a thing around that time it's not yeah. anymore well because everyone's got mobiles but um, oh yeah but at the time i think it was a, a bit of a bit of a trend that you had you know phones in the shape of this and that and bizarre um i can't yeah. remember any other examples but that's where it came from i don't think it was just a total piece of gratuitousness on my part i think there were things almost as bizarre as that in existence yeah, I mean, it's just, I don't know. You'd think it'd be the sort of item that was sent in error because it was a fairly common occurrence, things like model flies or bottles of expensive wine accidentally being sent to them. When we first see it, I just think, oh, it's just something else that they've accidentally received. But the fact that they decided to buy this at a jumble sale makes it even funnier, I think. Yeah, now. well, his his idea of, of um, 
strange curios is not is not new of course no. the pig head on the wall which is another um piece of memorabilia <laughs> that i've got here oh yeah um, but it's, but it's uh, you know it's a they're just yeah yeah i mean that's just him being slightly odd <laughs> well, he's, and just something, something for Margaret to react against. The, the late Dr. Spicer, I think it's a doctor that's quite respected in the Meldry universe. His, his wife has um, sold this old bag of GP equipment. He recounts an anecdote which would, wouldn't be complete without a short explanation of how this Dr. Spicer died at a Texaco filling station. Margaret recollects somebody trying to give the kiss of life with a free air pump. So yes. these little, these little uh, anecdotes... You, they're just funny as they are. We don't need to see. It. There's so many times where Victor's reading an article in the newspaper, or Mrs. Warboys is reading an article in the newspaper. There's such funny little stories that they're just funny as they are. It'd be, I think, they're funnier just spoken about rather than actually seeing seeing them happen. So yeah, I well, love that. It's brilliant. Uh, but of course, <clears throat> in this, uh, I mean, we, we kind of trade on that and have done throughout the whole round of the series, as you say, that you get these mental. Uh, pictures that uh, you paint from from the description, which are funny in themselves, you know, like um, Victor doing his Tai Chi exercises and having to walk home like a chimpanzee, and those sorts of things, which are funny just in description, and you you know you imagine them. But of course, in this particular episode, that well, I'm sowing the seeds of you know half a dozen or more moments like that, which then you do actually Great see in, yeah, in the script. Yeah. So you're kind of not expecting to ever see them, but then at the end, it's in this great long. Oh, um, brilliant! It's so good. It's so good. Images we do actually see them for real. For this one, we do, yeah. But I I like how uh, because you said she said, "Oh, kiss a life with a free air pump." Of course, air pumps aren't free anymore. Fifty p for privilege now. Twenty years on, that's not bad for inflation. Fifty p, but it's still air. And um. Yeah, Margaret opens that bag that Victor brought home, and it's yeah, it's the doctor's leather case full of equipment, twenty pounds. Geeky enough to look up, that's about thirty-five pound in today's money. Victor says he's even got a blood pressure monitor. You test my blood pressure, Margaret comes back with, and he tries the he puts on the stethoscope, and Margaret thinks this is like a new obsession thanks to the heart disease leaflet he picked up in the the post office, and he can't detect his own heartbeat. Neither dead or deaf. <laughs> I haven't got much longer for this world, I can tell you that much. And this is just a continuation of his, uh, well, he's a bit of a hypochondriac, as you know, the trial. Yeah, this is just, he's very consistent with his, in line with his character traits, isn't it? It's much the same. Yeah, well, that's all based on me, of course, that that hypochondria. Um, And the medical dictionary, I think I've probably said before, was my own medical dictionary, which has since completely fallen apart. But the one that they used as a prop was my own. Oh, really? uh, well, that began in the second episode, I think, didn't it? In the big sleep, he was really, he was getting yeah. a bit worried. There. I thought he was actually dead at the end of that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, well, I mean, this bag of medical tricks is um, is just. <laughs> I mean, it's really all just you know they're all just opportunities for jokes. You know how yes. far up the thermometer meant to go and. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I, they're quite you know it's quite a nice joke that, but um, so uh, it, yeah, I mean, there's not really anything. Yeah, too no, much read into that. And I, I like how Margaret is a little bemused at his moaning since she's had the coronary, the heart, you know, yeah, problem from last year, which is obviously end game. So that's the again. This is how we look at the timeline. It's not quite in line with real world timeline. It's just it's obviously a short amount of time has passed. I thought it was quite interesting. Um, and Victor asks if Margaret's district nurse is coming over later. 
that's got it's good continuity you know to mention Mar- margaret's heart attack and the fact she is having ongoing care which is good uh, vix is keen to exploit this nurse for his own health insecurities and asks how far up's a rectal thermometer meant to go <laughs> what we switched to victor in the kitchen reading the thermometer and surely i don't know if he's gone up his backside in that time because his trousers are partly down i think again this is just like <laughs> it's just like the no, trial did, <laughs> no he's we're not yeah no we haven't wasn't quite as graphic as that no because i mean he's talking about how far up to go in terms of its uh, in terms of the yeah. numbers yeah i was gonna say if it, if, it, if it was for real i think blimey but no of course it's uh it's leading us down the wrong path we're, we're still in the military living room it's like a i put like a further flashback later in the afternoon the district nurse is sat with margaret on the sofa played by joanna scanlon very recognizable actress that's very much a seasoned professional i think the thick of it mm. uh stella many other shows i've recognized mm. her in and she's just with a pearl earring. I mean, yeah. that's all we made our show, of course. I mean, these, these people go on to bigger and better things. I wouldn't say that at all. No, mm. I mean, that no. it's, they, they, they've already peaked as far as I'm concerned in one but the <laughs> But no, they, they they still go on to some great shows. But I mean, I'm, I'm wearing my tinted specs here. It's one for the grave. But no, um, well, they go, they go on to they go on to bigger roles, let's say. OK, um, well, maybe that, more. That's yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. And she mm-hmm. mentions the next appointment's 10th of August. And um, she's got a phone call. She suspects it's from her nanny, hands free. Oh, it's Gillian is her name. I think it's Gillian. Mm-hmm. Um, and asked to be excused. She speaks to this nanny who has, who has some questions on behalf of her accountant. Uh, Margaret also excuses herself as she leaves the room to check out some rubbish. And Gillian instructs the nanny where to find some documents of sorts. And Victor walks in, wondering if he could use some of her time to. Uh, to discuss his health and of course he has no idea if he's on the telephone at this at this moment in time thanks to the the hands-free uh, elements and Gillian's line of questioning causes great confusion to uh, Victor which is obviously comedy gold she's she's put forward a question like can you can you run upstairs for me and you just see Victor in the background racing up and down the stairs a few times it's just time to perfection by both actors sorry can you repeat that and he keeps on going he's just just the absolutely yeah. ludicrous. It's just so good. Just try skipping to the bottom. <laughs> Stop there. That's what we want. What I like about that moment is you don't see him skip to the bottom. No, him, like... no it was very, it was very, very, um, very specific among ourselves there that you didn't want to see that. And yeah, um, yeah, it's that's brilliant. how we've been with it, with a lot of the comedy. You know, there are just times when you think, let's let's just imagine that it's more elegant, <laughs> if elegant can ever be um, used to describe some of the jokes. But it, you know, it's uh, it just takes it away from being so on the nose that mm. you know, I, some some comedies would would do it that way. Yeah, um, I, so I always I... preferred. Just be slightly off centre with it. I mean, I, I do love off camera noises or conversation that continues off off camera, and you can hear it. It just leaves it to your imagination as well. Yeah, I mean, all of this first because the nurse has stood up near the window making these notes, and um, it's just completely misunderstood. As she has all the information she needs now, the phone uh, reception is clearly a bit dodgy, as it probably would be in the year two thousand. And she yeah. said, "You've gone a little faint." <laughs> All polite, you know, worn out. Probably not expecting to be uh, put put to the test. Obviously, he wasn't ever supposed to be, but in his mind, he was. I think he's taken off his top by now, isn't he? So it's just <laughs> poor old victim misunderstanding. Because I think she says, "Can you can you just get that off for me?" I guess, so like I said, he complies. Yeah, takes his top off, and um, 
how is the little fella, by the way? She she speaks mm-hmm. as um, which finally invokes a more negative reaction from Victor. Is that something else I've got to worry about? Anytime he says <laughs> something else, I've got to worry about now. Something I yeah. utter, utter to myself all the time. Um, yeah, likewise. Just stick a first class stamp on it, and then Margaret walks back in, and the nurse ends the call and confronts a confused Victor and Margaret. You're, I think. Remind, you're reminding me of jokes I've even forgotten. Now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, I. I mean, I did. Yeah. Say, I, I said I'd probably I'd be making pretty much every single note um, of this mm. episode because you know I forget things. Well, I've just only watched this the other day. So it's, uh... well, now it's evening time in the the Meldrew bedroom. Any evening scenes in the Meldrew bedroom is just too good to see. Victor's uh, legs are all seized after after a jog in the park, uh, but bemoaning being lapped by the over eighties fitness guys because. Got, should probably should have mentioned that the nurse said, "Look, regarding your health concerns, have you thought about taking up running?" So he, he's he's gone ahead with that advice. We may see a glimpse of his fitness class later on towards the end of the episode, but he recounts the time some tramp chucked fifty p in his cup after cooling off with a drink. I suppose we've all got to go sometime. Well, exactly. <laughs> what do you mean? She says a Mrs. Gatwood from down the way had asked at the hospital that her husband dies with dignity despite him only only heading in for a cataract operation. Uh, <laughs> yes. Well, kind of... <laughs> I suppose these are just jokes, aren't they, really? I mean, I, again, you know, I suppose just yeah. about. Yeah. I know. I think that comes on the back of Victor saying, you know, sort of foreshadowing his own fate. I suppose we've got to go at some time. And that's why I, I, that's what I mean by agreeing with slight inappropriate levels of, oh, yeah, that's well, you know, Mrs. Gatwood says, you know, and so forth. Yeah. So, uh, the blood pressure. Well, it's like uh, saying, "My, we uh, all be the first to go in the um, uh, end of Endgame." Yes, obviously derails him as well. But uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes she's, you know, I mean, she's just kind of speaking without thinking or not yeah. imagining it's going to upset him. It does. Yeah, yeah. He's a little annoyed now that the blood pressure monitor's got a puncture, and he's still still playing with this his new toy set, so to speak. I mean, that did my confidence a lot of good, didn't it? Being lapped by an over-80s fitness class. <laughs> Artificial hips clacking away as they went past. <laughs> Bought a drink to cool off and some tramp chucked 50p in my cup. <laughs> I mean, what's the point? Sonny can smell onions frying. A bit of a, mis- <laughs> bit of a, bit of a mystery yeah. unfolding here. There's a... He says a man set up a hot dog stand with two women lighting candles next to him mm. with like a mysterious, slightly eerie music playing. And that, that scene finishes. Yeah, yeah. Well, that uh, yes, leaves you on a bit of a, a knife edge. What the yeah. Hell is he, what the hell's that going to be about? Hopefully all will be revealed at some point. Hopefully. Well, well, the next day in Riverbank, uh, Victor walking along the pavement towards his house and he comes across a long queue of people People with bandages on, wheelchair users, one holding their dog at the front, blind, blind chap as well. And he's quite direct with Victor, this this blind chap, for Victor appearing to push in front of this queue. Oi, oi, oi! Where do you think you're going? There's other people here before you, you know, with worse things to worry about. Pay you to have a little consideration. Worse things to worry about? Hey, 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 who are these people? This is my house, for goodness sake! Victor, understandably, enraged and confused and he can see two men passing a man on a stretch into the front room and uh, we now see Victor sort of storm inside his living room I love how obviously that's an external shot you've got to cut that and then the studio um, bit you just got to quickly time it so Victor comes in 
I've, I've yeah. never been in a well, studio. We, well, we had to. I, I do remember that we had trouble get, getting that stretcher through, and they had to take. Um, but unfortunately, it was one of those sort of double glazed window unit. I mean, you've been to that house, of course. Oh, yes, I have. Yeah. Um, and we had to actually take out part of the uh, window structure there on the day. It wasn't even. It was one of those that they, we only really found that it didn't work on the day. So oh. rather than get it get it all sorted the night before or something, um, the chippies and people were in there taking all of the, um, the sort of the, the mullions out and everything to create enough room for them to pass that stretcher through. And as you say, it's then just a, a seamless cut from that into the studio set. That um, The house, of course, I don't know if we've uh, touched on that before, which is a bit of a TARDIS job um, in terms of the, 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 the space within our studio, sitting yeah. room, hall and... Um, uh, downstairs toilet bear no relation to the to the yeah that's to the, space in the actual house as seen from outside i mean it artistic, expands artistic license. absolutely yeah. <laughs> but no yeah victor storms inside not knowing what the hell is going on and yeah the furniture has been removed now we can hear a, like a harmony like a hymn being sung by obviously through the radio and there's a few people around the, their dining table. There are four strangers sort of in the dark, seemingly paying their respects, which we see a glimpse of, of this stitching that Margaret's mother's created. And Margaret quickly calls Victor into the, into the kitchen as she's getting off the phone to a, a priest. And Victor just needs some answers, as, as you would. This has happened a few times, I think, with the wine incident or trying to find out who Patrick and Pippa are in Who Will Buy, I think it was. They always sort of like, that's their kitchens there a bit of space just having a bit of thinking time like what are we going to do and this, yeah. has happened, this has happened again and um and in this this cock-up does derive from an advert that margaret put out and she said for once this is a mistake by margaret I, absolutely not anything to do with victor nothing to do with mrs warboys advert remarkable embroidery of the virgin mary beautifully hand-stitched has two small tears under her eyes <laughs> What do you want to put that for? Two small tears is what it says. It's been misinterpreted as two. Completely, yes. Very, very... Well, that's uh, what's right, why the joke works, you know, absolutely perfectly, because it, yeah. it does stand up to scrutiny, but, um, yeah. Yeah, so it's not that it's misspelled, it's just people just yeah, misinterpret it as, as, as a tear. And just so such a clever joke. Um, and it's like... I think in only a story, the news, newspaper editor cock up is that around putting their their address as Victor as the editor or something, and mm-hmm. star bound with the stockings and susp- amputated legs. Advertisement yeah, that, that parish newsletter, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, just another bizarre situation the Meldries find themselves in. This is all quite because this is an episode where Victor's gone. This is still a little bit eerie in a way because it's all relating to religion and death, and we know this Victor's heading towards that way. Um, but yeah, yeah there's is, something. Yeah, I wrote down one one for the nerds. This I don't know when this advert went out because the day before we've seen Margaret suggest she'll phone it through to the local rag, uh, the local newspaper. But that one obviously been released until the next day. Again, really geeky question. I wonder at what point that must have been phoned through quite quickly because this is an advert that people have spotted. Mm. It doesn't actually matter, of course, but that's what I've, I've written down. I mean, yeah, I I can't remember the chronology of that. Is that is that meant to be the next, the very next day? I, I took it because because 
the night before when Victor spots the hot dog stand, that's when she, I think she mentions in that scene or maybe early in that day, phone it through to the local parish news, newsletter or something. But um, Yeah, well, they might have got into the evening edition, of course. Yeah, that's true, yeah. And in this day and age, it's straight away on social media. Well, so. yeah. Yeah. I can assure you that I mean this is in no way any any kind of criticism. Just <laughs> fact, the, the geek, geeks of uh, films and drama shows and sitcoms they do like me like to ask these. Um, well, questions. those are the sorts of things, of course. Normally, that <clears throat> the continuity. Uh, I don't actually think we have a continuity uh, person on something like a television sitcom. You do on film, yeah, <clears throat> or any film item. You have someone whose job it is, apart from everything else. <clears throat> timing all the scenes and getting the continuity right on set is yeah. to go through all, all the scripts meticulously and you know put times and dates and everything um you know assign all the you know, a whole kind of um daily timetable and calendar to everything that goes on in the story so that it all makes sense yeah um, which is quite a good backup if you're you know been a bit lax with it yourself as the writer do, do you know i feel like um in Jonathan Creek Miracle Crook Lane, the Jonathan Creek fan club. I feel like that one in the Grey <laughs> fan club are just just yeah. dissecting probably unnecessary amounts of information. But anyway, so you know, yeah, people come to say their thanks or plead for miracle recovery. And Margaret's on the phone to the priest to get them out of there because it's a big mistake. Yeah, just a great, great misunderstanding. Applaud that gag, just wonderful. Um, and an old lady interrupts and asks for some holy water from the the kitchen tap. Played by Jean Mockford. She only passed away a few years ago, apparently. Uh, oh, 92. Yeah. yeah. And she also played, so I looked up her IMDb history, a checkout lady in an Only Fools and Horses episode, The Longest Night. Thought, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, it looks familiar. So that's, that's the case for the lady who left the voicemail from Hearts of Darkness, who's at, whose name escapes me, who played Margaret's mother's voice. She was in a Fools and Horses episode. So, yeah, it's always nice when you see the actors sort of floating across. Well, they have, uh, I mean, Tracy Gillum, who was doing all our um, casting by that stage, um, yep. and Judy for her were um were very much you know sort of stationed within the comedy department i mean they moved she moved on to other yeah. things now but um so they would they would you know have a sort of roster of people they would you know keep bringing in for different roles in different shows that, uh, so you would see that you know a lot of faces crop up particularly in those smaller parts now yeah yeah a little later in the day a father blakey as we'll come to learn played by william osborne didn't notice he hasn't done anything since 2007 and he might be in theater he's been called over to assist the clearing out of all these people and to explain the misunderstanding presumably father blakey brushes off this event as faith being a powerful motivator that it brings the pilgrim in us all and then he finds it quite extraordinary but margaret plays this down it's not quite as extraordinary far worse things have happened to the meldrews and on, on the back of these comments this and uh, the priest father blakey feels that margaret might welcome some spiritual comfort herself faith is a powerful motivator mrs meldrew it brings out the pilgrim in us all <laughs> however you look at it this is a most extraordinary occurrence not so extraordinary in this house i'm afraid <laughs> rather more par for the course oh dear sounds as if you might welcome a little spiritual comfort yourself sometime Sometime, very possibly. Sort of further foreshadowing of what's about to come, I think, because obviously Victor's very much, he's in this scene. Uh, Margaret's quite blasé about this suggestion. As she glances over to Victor, blowing out the remaining candle, following some more sorrowful music. So that's a little bit eerie. Yeah, it's quite so clever. I... It's sort of, phase, I don't know, like she's 
staring over at Victor, and he's just blow. He hasn't hasn't got a spoken part in this in this in this moment. And so we're sort of brought into the present as Margaret's still yeah. glancing over at she, and she's um yeah with Glynis in the in the. There's real no time. real logic to any of that. It's merely, I mean, it's a little bit of a cheat in a way that uh, it's almost as if she gets a shudder that someone's walked over a grave kind of moment without really knowing why or what, but. Yes, that it it doesn't. There isn't actually any logic because there's no reason for Margaret to believe that something um, sinister is on its way or tragic in its way. No, well, that's that's very honest of you, but it really kind of makes for a you know a very haunting um, out to the scene. Yeah, well, it is because obviously we the audience know Victor's fate, so. That just adds to it, and yeah, I absolutely, I absolutely adore that moment. It is very, very sad as well. But yeah, we're brought into the, I say the, yeah, it is the present moment, I suppose. Uh, Glenn has just heard calling out to Margaret. She's obviously been daydreaming, but they're now actually at their meal. I actually thought when I watched this back, it phased phased back into the living room with just Margaret and Glenn, because but obviously they've been out for lunch by this point. And, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I think the genius of this writing is to blow smoke up your, you know, your behind. But I. You sort of almost forget that Victor's even died until this moment because mm. all the comedy that's happened. You just—it's a bit like I said this before. Mr. Swainy and descending to the maelstrom when he's on his on the floor trying to fix the uh, yeah. under the sink. You sort of forget he's there until Victor wakes him up in the night because there's so much that's going on. Like, mm. I just that's just awesome. Well, yeah. that, that what it trades upon is the fact that you've forgotten about him. If you're still thinking that he's down there, there's no there's no joke. But it's the fact that you. <laughs> completely lost sight of that moment and then it just 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 sort of dump it back on you um but uh, yeah i think it's the fact that we intersperse victor with these you know all these sort of the you know pretty much the formula as before with all the the, the comic devices and misunderstandings and things that that takes the real curse of the you know what's happening in this episode. yeah yeah i mean you're just so invested in margaret's world right now that even through her eyes of storytelling outwardly to Glynis like I said you, you brought the idea that Victor's not yet dead even though we're, we are leading to that moment and it is I put it's interesting to see Margaret's look of concern and dread when the father speaks of welcoming spirituality when you know, as I said just sorry just to go back to the scene when she spots the blowing out of the candle like does she know that what was coming but like you said it wasn't really planned that way it was just an eerie moment that works really well sorry into into the coffee shop glynis and margaret having a sort of both in mourning should we say glynis playing down her mm. playing plays down her grief of her late husband's death oh and it's so much worse for you i mean with michael why well, you're just trying to fight nature but what happened to victor i don't know margaret how you ever deal with that Oh, I have a way. It looks as if she's going to go sort of full-on stern mode, but she sort of snaps out of it by asking Glynis about this hideous specimen that we learned of earlier. A little backstory, her late husband, Michael, I think he worked at a zoo, or he's got friends who worked at this local zoo. He'd been, he'd been a keeper there for 17 years. The giant tortoise hollowed out, isn't it? Interesting bit of backstory to that one uh, is that that was an idea that I had um, I first submitted, although it was never used, in, um, in uh, my pilot script for the Cosby series, oh, yes. um, which was the um, supposed transfer of one foot in the grave in America. And um, I had a 
few goes at um, pilot scripts for that, which in the end weren't weren't used. Um, but that was one of them because I in my my version of Bill Cosby as uh, as Victor Meldrew in its early stages, um, I imagined him being a zookeeper um, rather than a rather than a, a security uh, guard officer you know it's all all obviously all of a piece with the giant tortoise right. um longevity theme and the yeah. titles and everything else that it was a, i mean once again it's a fair fairly sort of grueling image really that they'd scooped out the inside of this giant it's, it's such a crass thing to have done to you know for, um, for someone who presumably had grown quite affectionate you know yeah um, yes all of these animals in his care over the years that they would do something as insensitive as that um that's where the comedy um it, sort of lay so uh, as you know i never never let a good idea go to waste as much no as i mean it, as it, as it, absolutely. Yeah. it would be a tortoise as well of course the uh infamous theme tune image imagery we've seen of a tortoise walking around so i think one of the first first times i watched one for you know we're, we're talking 93 94 as my my grand would just laugh at that intro every time and she says oh, especially that you know it looks like richard <laughs> wilson doesn't it so it does actually i mean with yeah. due respect to richard for that yeah. well victor meldrow phrase it as that it does but yeah so they're, they're just having a nice lovely coffee shop luncheon type day out it's quite nice to see that margaret's got someone in her life and they confide in each other seems like their late husband's stress levels were similar margaret gives another example of stress in their lives when she and victor decided to go for a drive to the market in lanchester that's in county durham in the real world <laughs> I, looked, right. I, I didn't know that i just thought i'll type lanchester in was this made up yeah well of course so i didn't have the benefit of google and nowadays you would just think is there somewhere called lanchester you know i hope i made it up but then you you know you'd look it up and thought, oh no there is somewhere i better think of somewhere else but in those days of course I, maybe i yeah. could have gone to an, a, an aa directory or something but... well no, it's fine no it, it really doesn't matter you could dealing, be more than one you're dealing with um a podcast host of one foot in the grave who is going to be this particular um he looks up all sorts but um that gives us another um, flashback in the Meldrew kitchen so victor and margaret return from their day out victor's been able to make use of this Doctor suitcase, which is still carrying carrying this around, and yes. um, one or two references made early have become a reality now. Firstly, the shoe phone, of course, and now the syringe being thrown into some yob's ass. And Victor says yeah. he's lucky he didn't carry a snooker cue. So that event has actually <laughs> played out. The Margaret's initial phone call in scene one is is yeah, it's played out, and we can picture it even further. I like the line, lob the hypodermic syringe like Eric Bristow. Uh, <laughs> yes. He's a little disgruntled. He recalls a time recently where he, he fell asleep in the park, put a bit of sun lotion on, getting a grass full of cuttings all over his face. And the line, like David Bellamy with Greenfly, such a wonderful yeah. comparison. I met David Bellamy, actually. And um, uh, These are all setting up. The these are all, set, yeah, sort of mentioned. Sometimes you don't need to see it. Of course, it does work very well later on when we do see snippets and victor unbuttoning his trousers picking out gra grass from his belly button victor mentions he wants to record a program at quarter past eight it gives him just over an hour to unpack some of the some of the uh, blank videos uh, which were a nightmare to, to take apart yeah. like the again yeah these daily these little things in life that just cause us a tiny bit of it's just a little bit of nuisance in our lives. And I just like how that's brought into the Meldrew universe because we can completely relate to it. Yes. Um, and there was a quite, I think there was a, a sort of visual pun, wasn't there, with the knives, the knives. in the knife yeah. block and the knives in the pack of videos. 
Victor also bemoaning why visiting cousin Ivor was a good idea. And I'm glad the cousins and uncles are still getting a mention. Because yes. Ivor's because we do see a glimpse of Ivor later on, of course, in, in his car. But he's showing off his yeah. he's showing off his car, making um Victor look out the electric sunroof. I don't think again, the sunroofs aren't really um a feature anymore, are they in cars? Uh, I uh, don't know. I'm I've uh yes, I don't think I've got one anymore. I have had them. I don't know I very uh use them very much. Yes, I was always kind of privately amused the fact that these people were always referred to as Cousin Ivor and Cousin Wilf, as if, I don't know, in real life, anyone ever refers to their cousins as Cousin Somebody. I suppose they might do if they've got more than one relative with the mm. same name. But obviously, as a device, it's there, it's there to tell the audience what the relationship is. It's a very tricky thing, this. I mean, it's like those moments that... Um, you know, we've all seen them where somebody says, how's my favourite sister getting along? <laughs> you think you've only said that because, you know, you want us to know this is your sister. Is there, isn't there a more elegant way of, of telling us, letting us know that relationship with that, you know, th things that you wouldn't necessarily. So like fathers saying, well, son, um, if it's important that you know that this is, you know, that's the, the person's father. Well this takes um, me yeah. this take, takes me back to your Mel Drew moan David when you uh, said you're watching pointless and they just used the yeah. contestant's name now over that's it, really. interesting because we watched let's <laughs> getting back to this 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 episode's Mel Drew moan which yeah. is watched um, the pointlesses we've been watching between uh, I think it was Tuesday and Wednesday of this week yeah uh, Richard Osman had grown a beard right and Alexander Armstrong drew attention to this fact that he'd grown a beard seemingly overnight. But of course, the as is Richard Osmond alluded to the fact that we actually had a you know a break of several weeks between the two episodes in which he'd grown his beard. But what was more miraculous was the fact that in this second of the two of those two episodes, everyone had now started repeating their names. Okay. Oh, so and nobody nobody had ever done it in the ones because we're going back about a year now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 18 months i think where these were recorded and suddenly so something something happened that night <laughs> or between those two two episodes that caused everyone to, to tell us all about yourself uh nigel well i'm nigel um yes we knew that because you've got a big badge when you say nigel <laughs> so this is me drifting into victor meldrum rant time that's and fine it all stemmed from saying cousin either so we get get yeah. getting back to, getting back to the plot um, yes, that's there to set up yeah. the. I can't remember now whether. I mean, I presume I must have started most of these. The starting point must have been the funny image to put into the montage and then working backwards from that to Victor's description of it in the dialogue yeah. earlier. In the yeah. Episode. I think that's probably how it worked. Victor's head got stuck, basically, in Governor Ivers um, uh, through the, the electric sunroof. And I quite like how Margaret. Sort of slamming down that classic TV trope where a character speaks of recent events to the very person who was present, and Mar you know, Margaret says, yes. "I know, I was there." Yes, like, yes. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> yes, we'd at least, at least acknowledge that. But it's the kind Victor would do because you know he's it's so you know got under his skin that he's got to keep repeating it. Yeah, I, I mean, I do that. I'll, I'll summarize events and to my fiance, she goes, "Well, yeah, I was, I was there. Why, why are you repeating yeah. it to me?" <laughs> but. Well, meanwhile, Margaret reads some posts addressed to Victor. It's invited to a school reunion. It's nice to know he's actually well thought of to be invited. 
uh, yeah. speculations like do they have friends they don't really like being around some some people an episode or two ago why do people always want to meet up um, yeah but you know they've they tried to track they tried tracking them down for quite some time and there's a party at the strangers rest next week now the strangers rest is very much a, a pub i'd imagine in jonathan creek the strangers rest and <laughs> um, they're just very creek creek like to me quite short notice but they've, they've not been able to get hold of victor and they they found this they actually found his address in the local newspaper with the the, the artwork um mm. error for by coincidence so so it's sort of the beginning of the end now because we well when you're watching this for, for the first time you don't know but obviously when you're watching this back time and time again you go right this is where the events start to unfold the, the friend who's written to, to uh victor is a tom jones mm. margaret reminds victor he used to work with this chap at, at milk um on the milk she says at lee valley dairies so i remember asking you actually i should have done my homework what did victor do before he became a security guard so well we know yeah. now he worked uh, on I, the dairy I didn't come up with that which <laughs> I, I, on, yeah yeah but of course my father was a uh, was a milkman and was indeed Lee dairies was one of the um was one of the dairies that he worked with along with the uh at the time on the co-op dairy as well uh, okay and that that's kind of my childhood um so that was uh that's where that all stemmed from victor presumed that this tom jones has died but then, of course, Margaret goes on to talk of the reunion and how, you know, be exciting for him. She urges him to go. And to be fair, when was the last time he was invited for a friend's outing? We, we don't know as an audience member. So you can understand her desire to see him enjoy himself. And yeah. um, Margaret then reads out some of these uh, brilliant names. Derek Baker, Bob Loft, Limpy Briddock, Herbie Strangs. There's a whole list of names here. Limpy Briddock, my God. God. Including Limpy Bruddock. Yeah. Apparently he used to work on the dog track until he got a shoelace caught in the electric <laughs> hair. <laughs> yes, I like think it. the last time I watched the episode, so I'd completely forgotten that line, did make me laugh a lot. <laughs> and it's as horrible as it must be. Yeah. Those are the sorts of jokes that I mean, I um yes, this is I mean, there's a lot of uh, a lot of the dialogue um in um, one foot in the grave between Victor and Margaret stems from the kinds of expressions and um use of language um that my my own parents yeah. used um and um i don't think it was peculiar to them i mean it was it was it was colloquial to them but inherited from all the sorts of people they knew and you know their whole world and in those days you would probably now it would seem the height of insensitivity and political incorrectness to to refer to anyone with a limp as limpy but i mean it was the sort of thing that you know that they did um i think there was someone called limpy who lived near near my mum and dad right uh, and so it became but of course it, within this story it becomes such a potent device to call that because you just see that that character later on but yes. i was also dad also had a friend who he drank with around the pub called tom jones and i mean i like the fact that you can call someone tom jones which is you know must be one of the most common names yeah. you know out there without you know having to make an allusion to the singer without feeling self-conscious about the fact that well tom jones you immediately think of um tom jones the singer and that there's got to be some you know some uh significance to that which of course there isn't it's just no. that so he was i mean by the by tom jones happens to be singing in the pub he does <laughs> sex bomb when, yeah when, yeah when they go in but i think that was um 
I think that was purely incidental. I don't think we ever really? considered that. Oh, yeah, okay. no, it wasn't deliberate at all. Massive coincidence then, given, yeah, it's set up by Tom Jones. Yeah, I mean, in this scene, Victor exits the, the living room, followed by Margaret, who gets momentarily distracted by Victor's attempts at opening the, the packet of VHSs next to the, the knife holder, which just ends that scene quite nicely. So um, are you ready for the next scene? Yeah, well, it's a little isn't it? We're at, yeah, we're like a countryside road. I don't know where, was that somewhere in the Christchurch region, was it, that was filmed? It would have been, yeah. Yeah, it's, I don't think this counts as a flashback, but more sort of present day compared to previous scenes. But there's like a roadside clear-up, like a community of volunteers present. So it's because it's a flashback within a flashback, I suppose. Because it's a flashback within the present, yeah. Yes, that's yeah. that's the phrase I was trying to hear. And uh, Father Blakely approaches Margaret to ask how she's coping, and we learn it's been about four weeks since Victor's passing. And uh, well, actually, four weeks and three days. Margaret corrects him, so it's naturally, it's all still very raw for Margaret. Father is complimenting Margaret's cleaning up initiative. And she plays it down and recalls Victor's wisdom and about litterers being people who regard uh, la- see, regard lavatories as an optional extra. But yeah, that was a line from the first novel <laughs> that I shoehorned in there. But uh, uh, yeah, he he being father of Lake, he introduces another recruit to the cleaning up program, and it's Glynis. So this is how they, they they meet, and she's also lost yeah. her husband about a week after Victor died, and he'd been ill for some time. So Glynis introduces herself and. They seem to hit it off quite well, and she's got a bit of a sense of humour. Well, how about if I start with a vacuum cleaner? Sorry? Oh, right. <laughs> it's a nice little gag there. Father Blakely acknowledges how hard it, it must be right now and how one can possibly cope with what's happened to her and uh, how to understand if there's any purpose in the world. And, oh, my God, Margaret, Wynette Crosby delivers such a fantastic, moving and powerful speech that starts off sort of light-hearted and wisdom even goes into some sort of deep dark and angry emotional speech and including blaming herself for the eventual demise of victor i think i see how it works father we're all just characters really aren't we in a giant soap opera one by one god gets bored with us and decides to kill us off victor meldrew mown down by a hit and run driver on his way home from a party Sounds depressingly plausible. A party his wife practically begged him to go to. Well, you... You can't go on torturing yourself for something that wasn't your fault. Oh, I'm afraid I can do a lot of things, Father, if I want to. Torturing myself is the least of them. You ask me how I'm coping. Shall I tell you exactly how I'm coping? By clinging to the hope that one day they find the bastard who was at the wheel of that car. Because if they ever do, I swear to God I'm going to kill him. With my bare hands, if necessary. And they can do what they like with me. Trouble with the world nowadays. Nobody does anything about anything. Victor tried, God knows. And look where it got him. It's all speed and greed. And he's probably better out of it. I mean, this scene will divide people in the eventual discussion point of did Margaret get revenge towards the end? Because you can go back to that speech and go, well, was that a motive for her to want to get her true revenge on the, the killer or, or not? Or was it just speaking through sheer emotion? But ultimately, this priest is just trying to encourage that she finds 
the strength to forgive one day and that she mustn't torture herself. She does soon snap out of beating herself up and she goes into quite a more menacing, sort of fearsome look. She says, you know, she can do many things and torturing is the least of them. Goes on to say how she hopes they'll find the bastard, etc. And wow, that's that's a... Did did, did that take many takes? Because it felt like she'd have just nailed that, Annette, just in one shot, because that was just so like perfect and so sinister as well i honestly can't remember i mean i was there but um uh i don't recall us having had any uh problems with uh, you know in getting mm. the, the kind of level there it's the sort of thing that would come you know very easily to annette as an actress but i mean it was um you know there was obviously a lot of intensity to it but I means that's yeah. that's where she was yeah um, really scored of course um yeah, I mean, it was um, not necessarily a side of Margaret that we'd seen a lot of, but then, you know, we hadn't we'd previously seen her after her husband had been killed in a hit and run. So yeah. um, there was kind of justification for upping the ante at this point, I think. Yeah, he's encouraging Margaret to find the, the courage and strength to forgive one day. I mean, it's only been four weeks, isn't it, since Victor's death untimely death so she is like ready for revenge so the priest really is put in his place isn't he in this moment because yeah he can't really say anything to make it feel any better margaret summarizing the world that nobody does anything about anything it's all about speed and greed and victor's probably better off without i think the ghost of victor's really living through margaret because that's the sort of thing he would say yeah margaret's been quite a, a passive gentle person throughout she would snap at victor but she sort of lets things go but of course this is a she think i think in an end game she started to see things through victor's point of view when he went away on his own to stay in the caravan so she she further empathizes with how victor would have responded to certain things in life that's that's a very powerful scene she acknowledges that victor tried to put the world to rights look where it got him he has injured himself along the way he's got threatened buried underground you know checked out of windows held at gunpoint yeah. so he did go through it all didn't he uh yes he so, went through the whole gamut of uh... oh did it feels like a slightly awkward scene for father blakey because his his faith is sort of being mocked i think no not intentional from just from margaret because um you can understand when someone like margaret is raw with emotion she cannot see any of the justice in this and um, i yes. don't know if victor and margaret were christians you know it's never really mentioned that their, their faith but uh you know, I, I did like Father, Father Blake's closing speech to Margaret. Measure of our strength as human beings is the goodness in our hearts. I suppose you were, yeah. you were probably writing with emotion, weren't you? Because you know that you're going to kill off this this amazing character you thought of. So you really got to think, how can I do it justice? And uh, yeah, great scene. Yes. Well, you're introducing the concept of forgiveness um, on a spiritual level so that it's there um, as part of the... Um, you know, the question mark at the end of the whole episode when, you know, we're invited to speculate as to whether she did find that in her heart to forgive as mm. as as uh, encouraged by the priest or whether, you know, she stuck to her guns and yeah. exacted her own, you know, as, as she had vowed to do, exacted mm. her own vengeance. Um, but you've got those two... Um, two possible avenues um, have been sort of laid out for you it's another flashback but we're brought to the strangest rest very sinister music played um, mm. as we begin uh, to witness the start of victor's endgame 
the journey to the sad, sad event starts at the strangest rest. Very Jonathan Creek vibes. The rainy, cold night. He walks into the pub too. Yeah, Tom Jones' sex bomb. I put, if my geography is correct, these external scenes were filmed in the Hampshire area, but the interior of this pub was in Camden. Is that right? It was an actual yeah, pub, so wasn't that, it? Ring, that rings a bell, yeah, because that's yeah. where we did the scene with Paul Merton, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it's a busy packed bar, uh, and he asked, I think, clearly asked the bar lady where to head for this party. It's a bit, all a bit inaudible, of course, and he heads up a flight of stairs, more or less in the dark, to a dining area bar room. I love those sort of old, I don't think you can get them anymore, but these upstairs rooms in pubs where you can hold, hold sort of private functions. They seem to be a thing mm. past now that all pubs are owned by these uh, much bigger breweries. But um, there's like a table all placed out with photos of the gang from their youth. Uh, we've still got some, I sort of describe it as some sad and sorrowful music playing. Victor's observing. Oh, that is, I, I found that music that Ed Welch um, laid over that was, was just um, so... Uh, powerfully emotional it just sort of yeah. makes me weep every time i i don't know where it came from but that completely seals the whole feel of that scene to me yeah um and uh it's it really is that, that it's his triumph um the man who of course later appears in the scene yeah, but uh but he does i mean that was really him at his absolute best i mean uh, on a par with the, the music at the end when he's looking at the apple tree in the, in the second series yeah it, re- it really does tug at the heartstrings and of course you've got all the, i think that all those old bit we, we asked members of the crew it's cast and crew isn't it yeah to come in with their fo- old photos of their of their you know parents or whatever um from you know from from years and years ago i you know i would have put one in of, of my own but I just knew it would just cut me up too. I much. remember you saying, but, "Yeah, I I uh, can understand that." Yeah, you know, I mean, but um, especially as so much of it was, you know, kind of derived from personal, as I say, like the milk round and the name of the dairy and everything. Yeah, but and of course, we, you know, I mean, Richard um, volunteered that old picture of himself looking rather lean and young, and yeah, it's that, can... yeah, that. That that moment where he's w- walking around, and as I say, the the um, the confluence of the of those images and the music is it's, just one of the most m- moving things. It is, especially when you rewatch it, because you know what's going to happen to him. But you know, yeah. Margaret has seen yeah. him for the last time that you know well before that that scene, and the with the music. It, so how does it with a writer and um, a composer? Are you just saying this is what I want. Are you trying to articulate what you need, and then they just come up with something, and then they play it? To yeah, you? that's what 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 tends to happen. Yeah. I mean, um, on one foot in the grave, I I tended to do all of the sort of what they call the music spotting, which is you have a uh, original tape with time code on it, and you um, decide where and um, at what points you you feel it would be good for some music to come in, and what point it should go out um, to yeah. begin with. Um, so you give them a you give them an actual um, in and out for the music, but yeah. also a description of the kind of function it should um, perform, and and you know anything else you want want to say about it. I you know goodness knows what I said about that, but uh, other than it should be very very sad, moving, and you know it it it's uh, it, I mean it just reeks of nostalgia. Of course, that's that's the real sort of overwhelming yeah. fit. Yeah. Uh, but exactly what the, a composer then comes up with is, of course, totally down to them. And um, mm-hmm. you, know, you then go back, as we did with, you know, always on Jonathan Creek, for instance, with, with you know, you review what 
they're offering up and say whether it works wonderfully or whether you think it should be tweaked or you really don't think it works at all and sometimes they have to go back to the drawing board and so that's the process um but at the end of the day you're down to you know apart from love soup where we used all existing music but you're down to what your you know how good your composer is and as i say um ed really delivered on on that front i think and you know just for my own sanity and the and the sanity of the audience i you know you then have to puncture that with the visual gag of him going through the chair of course when he sits down yeah i mean i did put yeah there isn't a dark and sad scene that goes by where there isn't something funny going on of course yeah he does fall through the chair which breaks that sort of sad moment um makes a remarkable comedic sound i put typically as he's on (laughs) as as he's on his backside uh the barman paul merton um pops upstairs of course that's his second appearance isn't it one because he 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 played the dentist the unseen dentist in victor in the bath leaving the voicemail um if you recall but yeah, was, that was a really good little um, cameo by Paul Merton. And, well, we'd be, we'd seen I don't know how many um, people for that role. It's a, it's the strangest thing, isn't it? I remember this is comedy, you know, and I'd I'd done my best to put in all the you know inverted commas funny names and uh, you know and the the, the jokes, the mm. lines about heart, whatever it was, pacemaker being recalled and things, yeah. um, and. Um, none of them made just laugh I, I remember it i think it was chris that said at one point what do you think about sending it to paul merton and he said, well would he come in and do something like that and of course he just agreed immediately um and i remember when we turned up at camden well you know i mean i'd, I'd met him a few times before that obviously but um you know him saying what an honor it is to be in the show and then you know we read through it in the bar downstairs and it was just hysterical you know, the first person, you know, that, but that's, that's someone who's funny. Yeah. And, yeah. And it just made it work without doing very much or if, if anything with it at all, but it was just funny when he did it and not funny when anyone else did it. And that's the difference. Paul Martin said it's one for the grave is that one sitcom that he can still laugh out loud at compared to all other comedies he likes. We all, we've all got a selection of comedies we enjoy. We might not mm. laugh aloud when we watch them for the fifteenth time, but with one foot, it's different for him. Uh, obviously, I concur with that. But his his character, Barman, he's he's reeling off a number of the party cannot attend for various reasons. Hey, Mr. Tom Jones rang to say, unfortunately, there's been some heavy flooding up on the Welsh coast tonight. Apparently, a male voice choir was swept out to sea. <laughs> the roads are all impassable, so. Oh, what a shame. Herbert Stranks is stuck in traffic on the M6 and doesn't think he'll be able to get here this side of Christmas. Alex Bendrix is very sorry, but he's had to fly to Hamburg on business at the last minute. And Bob Loft has decided it's too far to drive with his kidneys. <laughs> right. Oh, I won't be seeing any of them this evening. Albert Triplejoy has had to stay at home because his roof has collapsed. Walter Gook called to say his pacemaker's been recalled by the manufacturer due to a lethal design fault. Mr. Briddock, Limpy Briddock, has had to work overtime, so he's not sure what time he'll be able to make it. And this one Cheryl took down. I'm not sure I can read her writing. Derek Baker, is it? Has got to go and visit his daughter, who's recovering from either a caesarean section or a Caesar salad. <laughs> a bald transvestite. Isn't that everybody who was supposed to be coming? Hang on, sir, I'll just check for you. Yes, it is. 
It will be served at nine, if you'd like to cast your eye over our menu there. Or it could be blood transfusion. Oh, right. Still, I suppose Limpy Briddock might still show up if he can get away in time, and I haven't seen him for 35 years, so... Oh, yes, I'm sure he'll be here well in time for the cab racer. Uh, <laughs> I think, if I remember rightly, the, the blood transfusion is delayed as an explanation to that. Yes. about three lines later. Yes, it is, yeah. To... That's, yeah, yeah, that time's perfectly... <laughs> yeah, it's just brilliant. But there's only one that could make it, Limpy Briddock, so Victor's holding out for Limpy. Mm. That uh, is it. It's very sad, actually, like because he's he's sat on his own for this next scene. The cabaret um, is on, so as you said, your very own music composer Ed Welch, Ed Welch, sorry, playing the keyboard with uh, Jean Chalice, former wife of John yep. Chalice, played the original Mildred, the worst horror of all. And it's, it's nice to see her make a comeback um, after being replaced yeah. by Barbara Ashcroft. I, mean, I remember her coming in. I remember her coming into the audition of that, and she just sat there and sang the songs. Okay, so just to get you in the mood, and hopefully to stir a few of those lovely memories of times you shared together, here are some sounds of the 60s. <laughs> Which is, you know, quite brave anyway, in a, you know, in a sort of an office at television centre to just sit down there and. Um, and made it work instantly. It just was instantly funny with no accompaniment, of course. Highway 61 and Purple Haze, Purple Haze um, yeah. and, but in that way, in that sort of lounge act way, <laughs> which was absolutely spot on what we wanted. Yes. Um, and so, yes, was, you know, she was hired on the spot. Well, It's sad for us because we know he's on his own and he's going to meet, meet his maker very soon. He being Victor, of course, there's a lot of talking of death in the lyrics sung in those two songs, which I'm sure it's done on purpose. Well, Purple Haze, of course, was, <laughs> again, working backwards. That was chosen because it yeah. occurs in the lyrics of um, End of the Line, which we play at the end. I suppose these these flashbacks can't, obviously can't technically be Margaret's recollection. It's just for the benefit of us to see Victor's final few moments. Oh, yes. um, it's, yeah. uh, but it, it's funny and sad because he's poor blokes on his own and no one's typically, for Victor, no one can turn up. And next shot of that exterior of the pub, Victor exits. Hell's a cab. Yeah, I think we resume uh, we resume <clears throat> Ed's music at that point, and you just yeah. seen why he's got this guy get out, and uh, it, it it sort of tears me up just just re remembering that image in, in my mind. It's just is yeah that the powerful music just adds so much to the scene that's already because another few seconds earlier he would have you know he would have uh, seen him. Yes. They would have had a bit, had a few beers together up there, and he would have gone home much later, and you know, yeah, nothing happened. But on such such you know sort of you know minor, tiny sort of split second timing, our our life and fate. Think how composed Victor is, because we we always see the side to him that's full of rage and anguish when he's had a crappy night out, like sharing the sausage with Patrick or night at the <laughs> curry house and descending to the maelstrom. But actually when he's experiencing it, he's quite 
in ca- the character Victor is very composed and just taken on the chin. You forget when when you when I first watched this as it was aired, I remember watching it back maybe on video a few years later, and I sort of forget that he doesn't obviously meet his demise outside the pub because it looks like he's that's where he gets, but it's actually obviously at a train station later on. Um, yeah. But he hails the cab, and rather typically, Limpy Bridock, one hell of a limp, pulls up from his um, cab seconds, literally about three seconds after Victor leaves, and Victor waited just a few more moments he'd be with us it's all meant to be sadly which brings us into the um well it's Shawford railway station which i was there with a couple of friends uh, only a couple of weekends ago and sort of eerie being there in a way but everything doesn't seem as big in in, in the flesh it's what we thought when we were at Tresillian way I thought well, it just seems much bigger on the uh one mm. one foot one foot in the grave but yeah victor's um he's wow. he's, he's on a on a payphone to uh to margaret Summarizing the night as a complete and utter disaster. But um, is it, I put in a moment of poignancy, he's clearly putting Margaret's guilt at rest. As we know, she's obviously she's beating herself up for persuading him to attend. So he's like, of course, it's not your fault. Uh, so it's very, very lovely of Victor. He doesn't blame her. But yeah. I think say things can only get better. Yeah. Well, what, what completely astonished me was that, um, again, many years later, because it's 20 years ago, probably about 10 years after that, there was a question on University Challenge. But who's um, who's who's I think it was that which six situation comedy characters last words were things can only get better which they, uh, someone managed to answer correctly wow because it's not like it just happens and then uh, that he says it and then you know he's knocked over it wasn't you know you'd have to put two and two together because the scenes are kind of you know spaced apart yeah. so to have actually uh, made that connection was uh, <laughs> was quite quite amazing in itself but yeah, yeah. so that was um, yeah his, his last words on screen at least presumably wasn't bucking it down with rain that was just that was all props and that was all manufactured, all manufactured. Yeah, yeah yeah we're brought to glennis's place now lovely big house margaret's reading a, a letter written to glennis's former uh, late husband michael this keepsake they sent is the tortoise shell we spoke about earlier very yeah. very apt for this show have you got that did you say is that, have you got that I have, no, <laughs> no that would be a fairly major um uh, prop to <laughs> to store what? anywhere in the house because quite no I don't know what happened to that probably it was probably all broken up again but uh, ah it's a shame I like to think it was not a genuine tortoise well yeah that's it true that's fiberglass true. or something Margaret is very grateful in this moment that Glynis is not the only one who goes through these weird happenings in life obviously referencing the tortoise shell and Glynis seems to be suffering from some sort of migraine so Margaret offers to go and get some paracetamol Glynis says she could murder some more of that fruit juice I thought oh, yeah, mm, is, that, is mm. that a done on purpose I don't know uh, <laughs> and uh, Margaret goes to the kitchen retrieves some tablets from her bag and gets the juice from the fridge and um, she can't open the lid open this lid so goes through the drawers looks for an opener and she finds a photo album of Glennis and her husband now, I don't know if you've watched Breaking Bad. There's a moment in Breaking Bad where the main characters left a bit of literature on top of the assistant in the toilet and reveals quite a big revelation about his character. In this instance, this there's a photo album. Amongst the photo album is um, some newspaper cuttings about Victor's death, which, of course, rings alarm bells. I don't know if you would necessarily assume in that moment, if you're Margaret, 
that Glynis has killed him, but she's probably thinking, why the heck have you got this? This is a bit weird. And she's absolutely yes, startled, because she? she starts out being right. I, I have seen Breaking Bad, and I remember that moment, though I can't remember what the uh, what it related to now, but I know oh, it was very powerful. It was, it was um, was it to do with what, his, his brother-in-law? Yeah, so Hank. The, I'm, 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 it was the brother-in-law who was looking at them, wasn't it? Yeah, what, Walt Whitman's book, and it's sort of. I think it's um the what? the. the Basically, oh, yeah, Hank, Hank's using the toilet and he's he's just putting two and two together because he can recall a previous conversation about... Yeah, but it, it's a massive cock-up by Walter White, basically. Yeah. Um, and the fact they've only got one toilet in that quite big bungalow. But anyway, yeah, um, I'm, 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 I'm loving that you've but watched I, Breaking Bad. I digress. I digress yeah. massively, yeah. Uh, and indeed, Better Call Saul, which is another yeah. story. We're another waiting for that to fact, be... That's, uh, yeah, the final uh, series... Bob Odenkirk, he's um he's suffered a heart attack scare when they're filming the final. It, it appeared to have done, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, we hope he's uh, hope he's okay. Um, I'm absolutely loving the fact that you've watched Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul because I I know you've mentioned you don't watch much modern TV, but it's it's great when you yeah. write. Uh, well, of course, I know. Well, those are, I mean, we watched the first. Got well, Breaking Bad was one of those shows where you know we were digressing. Everyone was so oh, you got to watch Breaking Bad. Yeah, but it's you know, about someone who's got you know terminal cancer and gets into crystal meth production. Oh yeah, I don't. I mean, it, it probably is very good, but I'm not. I don't know as I got the stomach for it. So then we start, sampled it and thought actually this is very funny. A lot of this that was the thing that made us watch it. So we stuck with the first two series, and then by the end of the second series. I, I kind of lost faith in it because I didn't I didn't em- empathize with the character anymore because yeah. whereas I had up to that point because he, you know he's letting these people on a plane die and all the rest of it yeah um, <clears throat> or he was instrumental in it uh, no it was it was the plane no it was the um, it was the it was the girlfriend wasn't it? yeah she was having a, a that, that was the, how the second series ended so then we watched Better Call Saul which we really really enjoyed and then so let's go back because we were so addicted to that let's go back and watch the rest of Breaking Bad and then I suppose you just kind of get into the things the, yes the whole point is that he becomes corrupted like that. Yes. So he yes. ended up coming glued to both of them. But um, anyway, that's, that's fine. Which is no, I mean, it's, neither it's, here nor there. I mean, I like Bob Odenkirk in uh, Larry yeah. Sanders as well, of course. Yeah. Like yeah, no, let's find to digress. Oh, I just, for some reason, I just love the fact that you enjoyed Breaking Bad and Better Call Soul. Great writer for a sitcom. Enjoy it. Appreciating a great drama. Yeah. I don't know what it is, yeah. but sorry, digressing massively. In fact, well, as she begins with, to begin with, she's, she's just looking rather fondly at these photos yes. of um, you know of uh, of Glynis and her you know and her husband so then it all just uh, I mean those are you know sort of uh, fairly stereotypical moments from the drama it reminds me for instance of the jagged edge moment where is it Glenn Close is, is, finds the typewriter and uh, the, the giveaway is that um, the the I don't know the s or something um yeah. So just a minute. The window clean. I'm going to have to just. Hi there. I, I'm on the phone at the moment. We were expecting you earlier in the week, but because uh, the road was all closed off, wasn't it? So anyway, yeah. Oh, do you mind if I just let you get on with it for now? Okie dokie. Thank you. Yes, the window. Clean. Does your window cleaner um, realise he's just spoken to David Renwick? Uh, yeah, he knows who he is, and I've also got the cat down here, which you can probably also. I can't. No, I think I can't very, hear. You can't. You can't hear the. Well, the cat can't hear either because she's deaf. She's quite oh, elderly and deaf. So, 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 she, so when she does make a noise, it's very loud. That's okay. <laughs> I mean, she that's a, no, that's fine. That's not a problem. She might want. She might want feeding. But my, my wife just popped out to the um, 
Oh. Wherever she's gone to the vets or somewhere. So I mean, oh, okay. I might, in my other hand, just uh, try putting some food out for us. Oh, bless. Anyway, sorry, so, yeah. So, um, yeah. So, so I'm just saying that at that moment where they discover something that you think, oh my God, mm. um, you know, now and all the implications will come, as you say. Well, but, this you know, is it. It brings about a flashback to Victor standing outside of the train station, more to that music it is hard to watch it's pouring with rain and we and we we see a car approaching and quite a scary front facing shot of sort of range looking glynis it does look a little bit evil yeah there's a rise for that moment and um sort of strays off the road onto the curbside and victor's waiting on the side of the road for margaret to pick him up of course this is a bit yeah it correlates to limpy Bridock in a way, with the time of Limby Bredick turning up, if Margaret had been there just a few moments sooner, of course, it wouldn't have been... Uh, no. um, wouldn't but we, this is where we do see that close-up shot of, of Glynis looking a little bit like she's just, just a bit pissed off, doesn't she? She's, we, we'll learn why in a moment. She closes her eyes and she does. Yeah, we see the, the hideous, horrendous moment. Our beloved Victor has been run over. It's all happened in a bit of a Quick, it's quick as a flash, really. And that shot, I mean, that's a beautiful shot where it's a sad shot to see the, the, the beret hat come flying off onto the side of the road, the pouring rain, followed by Victor's arm flung out. And uh, was that your sort of idea to sort of have it at that sort of artistic angle, sort of down close? Or was that suggested by Chris? Because that's quite a, because uh, you don't really get a graphic scene of Victor running over, do you? It's all sort of. No, well, that w would never have been um, contemplated. Yeah, I think I, I think that's how I described it in the script. Certainly, that you see the cap come into the uh, yeah. into the sort of puddle in the road, and I think yeah. probably the hand, yeah. the arm. I mean, Richard was just, you know, in, in reality, Richard's lying there on a nice, comfortable mattress for, you know, side of the road, so it wasn't quite as harrowing to film as it, you know, then becomes when you look back at it. But I do remember we had a very, very long um, session in the edit with Mark Lawrence, who was editing the show with uh, yeah. Chris, myself, and Mark, um, putting that whole sequence together. We tried yeah. so many permutations of how long we were on each shot and in what order we saw them with Hannah at the wheel and how much. And, and I think a lot of it um, involved just pairing it all back to the bone and seeing less and less and less of everything that as, as frequently happens with, uh, with filming, you've got so much coverage and so many shots, um, um, you know, portraying every, every moment that happens. And, but in the end, particularly on that moment of impact you want the the the, yeah. the, the least amount i remember quoting i think i uh, when we were sitting there in the edit of that moment in um uh, alien where the um yeah. where the creature burst from john hurt's chest and the fact that you don't know what you've seen really and i i mean i remember um going back over it on video um and just slow motioning it or pause you know frame by frame and the the actual individual shots are almost indescribable because you don't know what you're seeing but when you run them all together in a you know very fast um yeah. you just get a, an impression of something um yeah. going on so it's yeah, that with the music you know you're in no doubt about what's happened so it's hard yeah it's to, it's, you it's graphic it's, you know it's beautifully choreographed and Oh, it's God, the same that's... when when 
when Annette uh, Margaret comes at, you know, jumping out of the car, you don't want to see that in close up, you know. No, there's no, certain which... things that it's that it's so much nicer to see in in long shot, and of course from Glynis's perspective, because she's it's what she's seeing in the distance. You don't want to yes, see the whole. No, it's, it's uh, yeah. I mean, all, this bit of flashback is Margaret. I think just just I think she's imagining what the, how this has played out and. The camera sort of is a close close up shot of the paracetamol. This is where lots of um, theories come to the surface. Well, does she does she um, put more than two tablets in that drink? And uh, yeah, this is when that that music, that Harry music by Ed Welch, is just comes to a, a close with the sort of thunderous oh, sound when she hands the Thanks. drink to Glynis and then pulls it back as if to say, "You've got some explaining to do, Mrs." You know, mm. she's just Margaret's digesting everything. Um, you know her flashbacks of personal experiences and the revelation that Glynis has carried out the ultimate betrayal in, in sort of two ways suppose killing Victor and keeping it to herself and you have to you have to be thinking if you're Margaret why the hell are you friends with me you know it can be seen as a bit perverse from Margaret's point of view I suppose and um, yeah she, well she because she, she says that um, you know I mean it's not a coincidence that she happens to be the one who's befriended Margaret because she no. has sought her out very yes. deliberately yes um, with a uh, you know a game plan eventually of you know unburdening herself of this guilt um, but she's never yet been as she said every morning I've you know I said that today's the day I'll I've never been able to do it mm. but um, I mean you feel for her at the same time I guess yeah um, and that because I could have made this story about you know the the typical the kind of yob yobbish um, hit and run driver who wouldn't again toss about who they'd you know, mm. knocked over yep. Yeah. Um, in the traditional way, but it just seemed more dramatically and emotionally interesting yeah. to um, to you know to make more of a sort of a moral dilemma about it. Um, yeah, Margaret from here on out simply says nothing. I mean, if looks could kill, if that saying was invented during this scene, I'd have believed it. And Glynis is absolutely oh, she's 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 pleading for forgiveness and certainly explaining herself, and she's lost for words before getting straight to the point. I was driving too fast. Of course I was. The hospital had rung up that night to say that Michael might not. And I was just... I mean, I should never have been on the road. Driving too fast and... The hospital made this call to say her husband might not make it through the night or, you know, it's coming up to the end of his his, his time. And um, she acknowledges she should never have been on the road. Before we go back to the aftermath of Victor being run over and we see her car drive away, but she pulls over and, um, yeah, and we, I suppose, yeah, Glynis had pulled up. And we do assume this is the truth, of course, because this is from her point of view. She said she would have come back had she not seen Margaret you know, pull up and it's very tragic that sight of Margaret turning to Victor's body in the side of the road. I think you just about make out her screaming Victor or um yeah, I don't know how is this a sitcom at this stage. It's very much a drama and it's it fades to the present moment again and basically saying she she would have come back, but she's very remorseful. That's 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 a definite. But you know, there's no reason to drive off in the foot. I don't know. I suppose it's hard to, to know if you're in that position. Hit and run is quite a serious offence anyway yeah, so yeah yeah Glynis it seems like she's after a little bit of sympathy really having to go through this guilt 
losing Michael. I think she just sort of says, you know, I just wanted to find you, you know, shoulder to cry on, help with money, just be a friend. So it must be confusing for Margaret because she's wanted to get a revenge all this time and she realises that it's this close friend who's, um, yeah, yeah, purposefully tracked her down to maybe one day admit her guilt. Whether that drink is spiked by Margaret, we'll, we'll never know. That's like you said time and time again, you can, I suppose, make up in your own mind what she may or may not have done. Yeah, it's it's a very, very sinister scene. I don't think fans look back in anguish at Glynis by being absolutely gutted at Victor's loss. You know, this lady has done a hit and run, but, you know, when would she have told Margaret? She clearly found it difficult to, to tell her. And then that final chilling shot is just of Margaret with that look that says nothing. And it brings us to the exterior of Glynis's lovely big house. And uh, Margaret goes to the car, seatbelt on, just looking ahead, processing what's been said. We're wondering, oh, what? well what's happened then you know she let it be is she going to go back we don't know it's it's for us to make our mind up i think you've might have hinted at the idea that she probably just did forgive because taking on the priest's advice finding that strength to just forgive move on whether she befriends do you think she'd have befriended if she hasn't done anything to glennis do you think she'd have befriended her again maybe sometime in the future Mm, well again you know that's all up in the air isn't it um i prefer not to speculate over the sort yeah. of questions really i know we we covered all this uh, when we i know spoke we... last time about about the performance in the car as she's about to move on and um you know it is that kind of uh, deliberate ambiguity that's important now i think and just mm. leave the leave, leave it to settle there with the audience because you the audience are doing a lot of the work for you there um, yes yes yeah and we don't know how long margaret's been in that house for between the cut from her hearing Glynis's explanation to no, going outside no, and it's no. you can make it again yeah make it up as you go in your own mind and uh yeah Margaret exhales a sigh of breath before starting the engine driving off and we're into the traveling Wilburys end of the line the perfect yep. number to be played I think yeah well uh yeah I was um a bit of a fan well I mean you know it's got my ear I suppose um there were certainly there were things that were planted within the, the script um because they were in the lyrics as I say like the um purple haze reference and yeah and yeah i remember we of course we played that to the audience we didn't play to the studio audience the scene with um the revelation that glynis was the uh driver of the car we withheld that from the from the the audience on the night um but but we let them go out on the the laughter of the final montage yeah um which had all had been cut to the um to the to the song by that stage um but and of course it drew enormous laughs um I, hopefully as you would expect um a lot of funny stuff in there um, oh brilliant I, remem- I remember paul jackson who was in the gallery who was the head of comedy at the time saying well you're going to leave all this in of course and actually we're not <laughs> we're going to take all of that laughter off um, because it just didn't feel appropriate um, at the end of the show and the yeah. end of the series um, to hear them laughing at those. And it was much more, I just, I, again, I, I just preferred that ambivalence of uh, very funny images um, with nobody laughing at it. Um, it just seems kind of the perfect resolution. Well, yeah, me. yeah, it's like a... For the studio audience and us, the viewers at home, it's like um, an obituary or like a, a memorial. Mm. We're, we're treated to a number of the um, mine incidents that occurred that we've, we've heard about through Victor and Margaret. 
an order of play. So it opens up with Victor jogging, of course, being overlapped by the over 80s uh, runners, one of the little lady running past him, you know, drinking tea under the tree, receiving the coin from the tramp, drinking actually. It's like he drank it with a penny in his mouth. It's like finding um, a penny in your Christmas pudding, I suppose. Is that kind of. <laughs> and the. Yeah. Onto the Christmas supermarket scene. I think you do see a shot of Chris Gurnan. Was it yourself sat next to? Chris yeah, yeah, the, yeah. It was just our little crew around the video monitor. On um, Step, I shouting up, standing up and shouting in <laughs> um, disbelief. Yeah, um, I... uh, but yeah, that all took an age. I mean, all of those moments took forever to shoot. Um, really, I mean that the moment where we were on I mean, on that road island in the middle of. Highgate Village, I think it was, waiting for the car to come round with Victor's head stuck in Richard's head, you know, poking out the time. I mean, oh, that was a whole morning just just doing that for you know about three seconds of of airtime. But um, so you know, funny that that that's, that's, that's very funny seeing Richard's head through the sunroof driving down down the way. Um, I think mm. uh, Owen Brenham didn't he do a bit of a documentary feature on? Yes, yeah, yeah. Year. Well, if you've seen that, you'll know you'll know what I'm talking about. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, it's good to see cousin Ivor. I don't know if that, you know that's I haven't seen many of his relatives in the flesh before, but that's that's very yeah. brief um, shot. And uh, yeah, I suppose a beast in the cage type vibe, chucking the syringe into that Rigob's ass, that sort of. Yeah, well, that was a build as well, of course. I mean, that, well, you've seen the, uh, you've, I think you've said you, you've read um, uh, Richard Weber's book, which has got a photo of the, um, yes. the prosthetic bottom that Chris Lawson, our special effects designer, constructed yeah. and then had to strap on the, on the, uh, the uh, actor who was in the car um, so, so that the <laughs> syringe could go into it. But it's all so fleeting that you, yeah. you just kind of just get away with it. Yeah. It says on um, IMDb that it says under trivia, during his cameo near the end of the episode, cinematographer Jeff Harrison gets to be the only person in the series to utter the F word on camera, as he can be seen saying, oh, you know, effing hell when Victor walks into the shop. But that's you. <laughs> if they got that wrong, unless there was someone else um, in the shot I could see. I don't know. I, don't, I, don't I think they got that wrong, you know. I can't remember if, if uh, Jeff was in that shot or not. Uh, I thought it was Chris that uh, was, was mouthing that. It looks like you all do, to be, to be honest. Well, with you, but, we're, um... we're probably... I know Jonathan Llewellyn, who was the production manager, he's in the shot as well. But uh, it's likely that Jeff's there. I just can't call the shot to mind. But, um, he, he may well have been. After all those little flashbacks, um, it brings a bit of... Yeah, lots of comic relief to a, a sad ending. It's a beautiful aerial shot of the countryside as end of the line is played out. Like to th- like yeah, to think this is Victor's only, view of the world. The only, time, the only time I've been up in a helicopter, we went up. Oh, uh, really? In a uh, Chris and I went up just to, as in a sort of recce um, to to um, just to look at what you know kind of bits of landscape would be appropriate for that final shot. Um, it's it's, it's um, lovely, but it does work very well. Yeah. Yeah, and wow, that's I can't believe I'm saying this. That's the the final episode reviewed with yourself writer david renwick and that's um just incredible and uh yeah thank thanks for all the memories and uh one foot in the grave is still loved to this day just yeah just well, incredible i've lost the words no well you've you've, 
<laughs> you're entitled to be lost after all the words you've spoken in the last bit. Um, I mean, that's uh, quite uh, amazingly impressive that you've uh, you know you go through. and you do this over every episode. This much, this much um, minutiae and detail. I was um, de- determined to get it finished. Yeah, I've still got must... visiting Uncle Dick to do, which is a very few, you know, take a few <laughs> minutes, but as a regular episode to yeah. to finish with you is just pretty special, and it's very good of you because it's only a you know. Short while ago, we um, well, you came onto the podcast and uh, spoke about other areas of one foot, and um, obviously we had to re- probably repeat yourself a few times given we've spoken about those yeah. times before. But so I'm grateful for that. I mean, a few notes I made on the back of this episode, as you've recounted, yeah, the bloody Daily Express leaked the story, Victor's death, um, and as I think a fake scene was written to confuse other media outlets. I think you said mm. Hannah Gordon completed her her scenes in one take or some of her scenes she was that good apparently according to the Richard yeah. Webber book um, oh yeah. yeah I think Richard yeah, Wilson like... Richard Wilson due to having to spend much of the night laying down on the pavement kept visiting the pub it's the pub um down the road from the train station that I Simon and Darren visited for lunch when we did our little recce ourselves yeah yeah Very nice and um I'd, I'd seen written down that when filming that death scene you had a bit of a lump in your throat in that moment because of course it's like losing a a close friend i suppose so um, yeah because that's fresh in your memory still maybe yeah and uh janine davitsky apparently was in the studio audience she was all in tears watching uh yeah well, she probably yeah. just because she was out of a job so. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know no she was i mean i'm sure that was all very very genuine yeah and she did uh, you know um but uh uh yes it well it was it's such a long while ago now that <laughs> it's uh, does feel i mean i i kind of you know what's uh curious to me is um well i mean unanswered really as to what you know to how much um um of a profile the show still has as each day each month each year goes by and you mm. know so much more comes in to the public consciousness to squeeze it out and people die off and the audiences die off. i mean uh, you're an example of course of a you know generation or two generations you know after that um you know still uh have an affection for the show but of course when i whenever i think of the the audience for the show i think well it's just all you know people of my vintage i mean god knows i wasn't old when you know when i was in my 30s when i started writing i'm now i'm just coming up to 70 um so my cat's just the big one forgive me uh <laughs> the big the big one and so you imagine you know, how much more like, especially with and here of course we're plugging the uh the book which has finally got a publication date which, yes uh, yes i've read um, I've, I've seen a, a front cover I for it, but I don't, did, is it a fake i don't know if there's this yeah no but... no i i, I so you put that on didn't you to tweet that on the uh, phantom and um no i think i'm afraid that is the actual final artwork so um, oh, did but, you but, but did you have you got twitter that, then did, did i miss here you say you saw that on twitter well, no 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 yeah, no I, i'm not on twitter but i mean oh. i just occasionally look at being you know, i mean i looked at the some bits and pieces yes. that were on their on their website which uh, um so uh yes yeah, so, so any coverage of that is always always welcome did, um that's taken that's taken a while 
but whatever you want to say about the book is uh, oh, oh of course yeah shite but you can hold fire on that but you know you do like so you, you kind of think what what sort of audience is the bit it's like only fools and horses which you're obviously also a fan of and uh, you know i mean the the books that david's Jason's still manages to sell because yeah. um, you know these are not um, shows of today, no. um, but they still seem to have enough of a you know sort of um, currency. There's, 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 do, there's um, not many. There's not many. You know, I know it's uh, my opinion, but not many good sitcoms these days. And it's nice when we have a bit of a throwback. So your book would be it's highly it's highly anticipated anticipated by the people who certainly follow my Twitter and and. Um, facebook account so very much looking forward to it and uh yeah i've got no, to read the, i've got to read the i got to read the original one which was um donated to me by darren listener who i met up with the other day for our recce and uh yeah looking forward to it and um all right well it? that's being re that's being republished so um you might yeah Oh, I've, I've I've made some edits in it, so <laughs> I suppose it would be surprising if after thirty years I didn't feel that I, you know, I could, <laughs> could True, no, no. like slightly. But uh, anyway, that's all. Uh, that's all another another yes. medium altogether. But um, well, thank you, Tom, for your exhaustive and comprehensive and um, okay. you know, sort of passionate uh, commitment to the show and everything. It's just been. Uh, amazing have you got any plans to get richard back on again um i well he's he's always welcome he's i mean i've i've got this bizarre thing i've got you your name in my phone book richard wilson in my phone book dory mantle in my phone book i'm not Mm. haven't quite got angus or janine whatever no i mean i would like next year if um, i've asked so richard is, is acting as like some an official agent because i've asked if he could kindly put a word in angus's ear because i know they're yeah. good friends but um if he'd like to come on have a chat but um richard's always welcome i know he went up to he did breakfast television i think yesterday i think he's doing he's doing uh, yeah age play isn't he apparently i, I thought yeah, he um, yeah. was giving that a break but i'm glad he's back in back in the game as it were and uh i don't yeah, suppose he seemed very very lively very buoyant sitting Have on he... the couch i mean it was I haven't spoken to him since that interview, but um, but no, I watched it. I mean, it was, uh, yeah. Have you got one final Meldrew moan to get off your chest? Um, no, I, I kind of, um, I think I covered that we earlier. We covered it earlier. <laughs> I just thought giving you my, one last chance to... <laughs> ridiculous obsession with Pointless, which is just, you know... Yeah, I never really mad. got into uh, Pointless. No, I, no yeah. well, you, you, know, you don't feel the need. I mean... <laughs> I just watched one from the grave over and over again. That's that's where. Yeah, well, that, that's quite right. I mean, that's. Uh, but yeah, um, that's so... um, that's that's yeah, incredible to have have your good self uh, cover the final episode of One Foot in the Grave, and we look forward to One Foot in the Grave and counting. Okay, it will take a second. So, David, yeah, thank you very much for 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 joining us, and it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, well, it's been a pleasure for me as well. Um, and um, you know, uh, just reiterate my. In the continuing admiration for all your support you. and continuing, continuing to foster the interest in the show after that, after all this, you know, twenty thirty years, which is still a, a source of great amazement to me that it's still around. That's but my, anyway, uh, my uh, pleasure. Look, yeah, well, and mine as well, and uh, look forward to hearing all the results. Lovely. All right, they will take good care and uh, hope to catch up soon. All the best to you. <laughs> okay, and to you, Todd. Thanks Cheers. a lot. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Goodbye. Well, it's all right Riding around in the breeze Well, it's 
sit around and wait for the phone to ring Waiting for someone to tell you everything Sit around and wonder what tomorrow will bring Maybe a diamond 